Light and dark represent good and evil, or so we've been told. The difference between good and evil is not so easily defined. After all, some light is so bright that it burns. And then it's the darkness that brings cool relief. Humanity has spent its entire existence chasing away the night with campfires, with torches, with electricity, anything to keep the darkness out of reach. But the darkness isn't an enemy. In fact, it might even be a friend. We invite you to turn off your lamps and blow out your candles with us on these haunted hollows. The crows have been here for as long as I can remember. Crows, as a species, have been around a lot longer than that, of course. I looked it up once, and the earliest known corvids date back to around 17 million years ago. These crows, however, my crows, I'm not sure. Sometimes I think they might have existed even earlier than that. Or maybe not. Maybe they came into being the exact moment I was born, like they were waiting until they knew I'd be here too. Either way, they've been around for at least as long as I've been alive. I know because there's a picture of me and my parents on the morning when they first brought me home from the hospital. My parents are standing in the front yard, my dad's arm around my mom's shoulders, and me and her arms bundled up so tightly that my small face is barely visible. Mom and Dad look like any new parents might, nervous and proud and exhausted and happy all at once. The yard around them is blanketed in snow, and perched on the roof behind us are five black crows. It's usually five, by the way. Not always, of course. Sometimes it's as many as eight, or as few as three. I've never been able to figure out the changing numbers, although I did try when I was younger. Maybe there's somewhere else they go, some unknown roost that they've returned to from time to time. Or maybe it's some sort of natural shifting camouflage, a way to blend in with the environment. I did try to track it for a while, but I never got anywhere with it. I still hope someday I'll figure it out, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I was around five or six years old when I first came to understand that there were two types of crows in this world. Regular crows and my crows. The regular crows didn't follow me. They never accompanied me on my walk to school, never sat quietly in the trees outside my classroom, and never kept a distant but intent gaze on me as I ran around the playground. And while a regular crow might peck at a bird feeder or pluck a worm out of the garden, I'd never seen my crows eat a thing, even when I offered it to them. Still, I might not have noticed my crows for a while longer if it hadn't been for the nightmares. Right around kindergarten, I started having these awful dreams. I had just watched The NeverEnding Story, and I was terrified of the wolf at the end of the film, the animatronic one with the freaky green eyes. It seems silly now, but that thing scared the life out of me as a kid. I would get stuck in these nightmares about it for hours. Or maybe it was sleep paralysis, I don't know. Just endless glowing green eyes and rows of sharp teeth. Until the crows started waking me up. The first time it happened, I was just about to fall asleep. 
The edges of a nightmare began creeping into my brain, and I could almost feel the gaze of the wolf's eyes from the corner of my bedroom. And then I heard a sound. It was loud. Rhythmic, almost, but not exactly. The sound didn't fit into my dream, so I woke up and looked around for the source. And that's when I saw the crow. One of them was pecking its beak against the glass. The crow stopped as soon as it saw I was awake. It cawed, then hopped off the window ledge to join the others in a tree nearby. It wasn't just the one time, either. They woke me up for years. Still do sometimes, although I don't have many nightmares anymore. I did try to tell my parents. They were kind and supportive, but of course they didn't believe me. In their defense, I'm pretty sure the day before I had told them I was a dinosaur swan princess, and at night I turned into a stegosaurus with wings and flew around the neighborhood. So I can't exactly blame them for not taking my word as the gospel truth. I never really told anyone else after that. Besides, I never needed to. Maybe that sounds unlikely, but crows are around a lot more than most folks think. Usually they just fade into the landscape. But if people stopped and looked, and I mean really looked, they'd notice crows are everywhere. Parking lots, trees, buildings, fields. Crows are survivors. Opportunists. Generally, my crows are content to stay in the background of my days, close enough for me to know that they're there, but far enough away to not draw the attention of anyone else. At least, most of the time. I was 14 when it happened. The school year had just started, and absolutely nothing else in the world felt more important than finding my best friend Eleanor after class. I had an essential question for her, namely asking if she thought Max liked me or if she like-liked me, which is how I ended up missing the bus and walking home. I wasn't particularly concerned about it at the time. The walk home wasn't far, and the weather was nice, and I had a portable discman with headphones to keep me company. A few crows followed me as I walked the familiar route home, flying low and lazy circles in the cloudy sky. I don't remember exactly what I was thinking about that afternoon, Probably daydreams about asking Max to a movie, or about how I was pretty sure I'd be a world-famous singer one day. But what I do remember is, when I turned the corner onto Fremont Street, one of my crows let out a single, rasping cry. I stopped, wary. Sounded like a warning. I hit the pause button on my discman, but there was nothing remarkable ahead of me. It was just a normal street save for the dilapidated mailbox marking the property of the house with an equally dilapidated porch. Sitting on that porch was Eli Slake. Mr. Slake had a reputation at school. He was known to watch the middle school cheerleaders a little too closely at the football games. He never did anything, nothing that could justify calling the authorities or booting him from the stadium anyway. But he'd sit there and leer and exude an air of unpleasantness that even the most oblivious of the girls could pick up on. Even I'd received a warning from my perpetually friendly parents. Honey, don't talk to that Mr. Slake, and if he ever tries or says anything with you, you tell us or a teacher right away, okay? If I'd realized he'd been sitting on his porch, I probably would have taken a different route, or at least crossed to the other side of the road, but 
It was too late for that. Hopefully, if I just kept my head down and walked quickly, he wouldn't even notice me. Not, Not even, even going to wave, wave at, at your neighbor, neighbor girly? girly? What, what about, about a smile? smile? Slake's words were slightly slurred, and I was pretty sure I could smell alcohol on his breath, even from my distance on the sidewalk. So much for not being noticed. I stopped, stomach churning, and gave him a weak wave and a smile. Two crows circled overhead, then came to land on the tree in Slake's yard. Seeing them made me feel a little more confident, and I resumed walking more quickly than before. I was nearly past him, even starting to feel relieved, when he whistled so loud I stumbled. I threw out an arm to try and catch myself, but the only thing within grabbing distance was his broken-down mailbox. My arm went right through it like it was wet cardboard. The ancient thing must have been barely holding itself together, but you wouldn't think it based on Slake's reaction. Look, Look what, what you've, you've done, done now, now girl. girl. Get, Get over, over here, here right now. Right now. I stared, stunned. Now, now before, before I, I called the, the cops. cops. I should have just left. I know that now, obviously. I should have run home and called my parents, or hell, should have let him call the cops and see what they had to say about a well-known creep harassing a kid. But I was 14 and dumb and scared, and so I pulled my arm out of the wreckage of the mailbox and walked toward him. He kept gesturing me closer and closer, and I couldn't stop myself from moving forward, even if the last thing I wanted to do was go up on that porch. I barely even noticed when one of the crows dropped down from the tree and perched on the porch railing behind me. Slake didn't notice at all. His eyes were fixed on me. Fixing, Fixing that, that won't, won't be cheap, cheap you, you know. know. I nearly gagged. The stench of booze on his breath was so strong I felt almost lightheaded. In the corner of my eye, I saw the crow on the railing hop closer, and two more crows landed on the porch. Slake's hand shot out and clamped around my wrist, making me jump. Don't, Don't worry, worry too much, much though. I, I can think, think of a couple ways you might repay me. me. I froze. I opened my mouth to speak or scream or something I don't know, but nothing came out. My fear was like a physical presence in my body, trapping me on that porch just as surely as if someone had tied me there. Slake's grip on my wrist tightened. He licked his lips and shifted as if to pull me closer, and then he stopped. His gaze, which had been fixed so intently on me that I could see a burst blood vessel in his eye, shifted to something just over my left shoulder. His expression went sour with confusion. What, what the hell? hell? I turned my head to look. The porch was covered in crows. At least a dozen were packed onto the railing, and twice that number were spread out on the floor behind me. We were practically surrounded by them, and I'm pretty sure my mouth dropped open as I looked around. The crows, on the other hand, seemed unconcerned, cocking their heads back and forth and shifting from one leg to the other. The porch itself was eerily silent. The crows didn't make a single sound. They just stared at us, their black, beady eyes inscrutable as they jostled for space on the porch. As I looked at the crows, and they looked back at me, I suddenly wasn't afraid anymore. My fear dissolved, and I wrenched my arm backwards as hard as I could. 
Unfortunately, Slake also chose that exact same moment to let go. The force of my momentum sent me staggering back down the stairs, but I somehow kept my balance until I tripped on the bottommost step. My backpack absorbed most of my fall, but I still cried out at the blow, breaking the eerie silence. All at once, the porch exploded into a cacophony of noise. I thought I heard Slake shouting, but his words were drowned out by my crows, cawing and shrieking with guttural cries. I struggled to pick myself up to see what was happening, but I felt sluggish, clumsy with adrenaline and fear. When I finally managed to get upright again, the crows were taking flight, moving through the air like clouds in a thunderstorm, individual parts of some terrible hole. I could barely see Slake now. He'd stood up at some point and was swatting ineffectually at the birds, cursing as they swarmed around him. The crows spun faster and faster until I couldn't make out their individual forms, just a writhing maelstrom of black feathers and sharp talons. You know, I used to watch a lot of nature documentaries as a kid, and as I sat there on the sidewalk, watching this impossible thing happen, footage started rolling through my mind. Swarms of locusts descending upon fields and leaving them barren. Schools of piranhas overwhelming their prey bite by bite until they had stripped away everything except bones. Only, my crows didn't leave any bones. They descended and swarmed, and suddenly they were gone. They might have flown from the porch as I blinked, or they might have simply just vanished. I'm not really sure. But one moment they were there, and the next moment they weren't, leaving an empty porch behind. No slake, just empty beer cans, an unoccupied chair, and a few black feathers. And as I watched, a gust of wind blew through, and the feathers were gone too. Then I stood up, brushed myself off, and went home. Maybe that sounds anticlimactic, but what else was I supposed to do? I knew that no one would believe me, and how could they? I didn't have any proof, no body, no bones. I only had the complete and unshakable knowledge that Slake was gone. I never saw Eli Slake again. He never showed up at any of the football games the rest of that year, and a few months later, there was a for sale sign stuck into the front lawn of his house. I tried to ask around, but there wasn't much gossip to be had over a missing man everyone had despised, and even less gossip folks were willing to pass along to a 14-year-old girl. I guess everyone figured he'd just left town or gotten too drunk and broke his neck in a ditch somewhere. Sometimes I think maybe I should feel more guilty about what happened to Slake, but I don't. I still don't, all these years later. To be honest, I feel more guilty about how not guilty I feel. It wasn't something I chose to happen, after all. My crows were just keeping me safe. And if that black, impossible darkness is what they have at their disposal to protect me, it's hard to fault them for that. Right?
watching, biding its time. When I was a kid, I thought eventually I'd grow. The world would shrink around me, eventually I'd know. All the hidden places, the secrets and the truth. Instead, it's gotten stranger. The darkness followed from my youth. A part of me, apart from me, inside my chest I hear it sing. A part of me, apart from me, I'll never let it go. really understand the destiny we were born into? Is it something we create, or is it something that we merely discover along the way? Is there truth in the darkness, or deceit in the light? We all have our part to play in the machinations of the world. The next time you see a flock of crows, you may want to ask yourself, are you watching them, or are they watching you? We hope you'll join us next time, amongst these haunted hollows.